Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1415 entitled The Company of Werewolves. Our podcast title is Jean-Luc Poddard. I'm Rob Jan and our co-host Megan McHugh is still leading a landing party away. You may have been noticing that we've been alternating solo shows and I am Jan solo today but not quite. I asked Megan if she could contribute some words and research to our little memorial to the late great actress Dame Angela Lansbury, and she obliged. All right, so I could not let the passing of renowned French-Swiss new wave movie maker and film critic and theorist Jean-Luc Godard go without playing at least one track from his masterpiece science fiction classic, Alphaville. Now, born in France in 1930, Godard died this year on September the 13th, which by a curious coincidence is Breakaway Day, I think, for Space 1999 in that science fiction show where the moon was blown out of Earth orbit. Why is that a weird coincidence? Because Alpha was the name of the moon base in that show. But we will let that pass on by because Alphaville, Goddard's film, is a techno-noir story written by Goddard, whose trench coat-wearing secret agent, Lemmy Caution, uh, created by British novelist Peter Shaney, the character and indeed the actor, Eddie Constantine, was already familiar to cinema-goers, having both been featured in a number of non-science fiction films. But the gritty, techno-noir urban environment of Alphaville, ruled by the dystopic supercomputer Alpha 60, is perfectly captured in this atmospheric selection from the film's soundtrack. Paul Mizraki is the composer, a French composer who, not entirely out of context, had a more than keen interest in ufology. And this is the inhumane villa from Jean-Luc Godard's Alphaville soundtrack, Paul Mizraki at the helm. Hmm, broadcast mode. This is Crichton, the service android aboard the Starship Zero-G on 3 R FM. SOS! SOS! Mayday! Help! I am being held captive by rogue makeup artists who want to cover my face in plaster and latex rubber. Panic mode. Get me the hell out of here! Okay. Now that was Paul Mizraki's La Ville Inhumaine from Jean-Luc Godard's Alphaville, the classic science fiction movie. Interestingly enough... Goddard did go back to revisit the character of Eddie Constantine slash Lemmy Caution, often conflated by moviegoers in their heads, much to actor Eddie's confusion and inevitable resignation. Jean-Luc Goddard did a kind of a second film 
where they collaborated with a character, <laughs> uh, not officially a sequel to Alphaville, but it was called Germany Year 990, and it was set after the fall of the Berlin Wall. And it's kind of a little bit of a, a meditative travelogue around that city in those years. I think uh, Eddie Constantine had already played the character of Lemmy Caution at least 14 times before this final time, played it over 40 years. So, all right, Paul Mizraki, the composer of the Alphaville score, was a ufologist, and he did indeed write a book on it as an early spruker of the chariots of the gods slash alien astronauts visiting Earth in historical times theme, a theme which has echoes, of course, in a comic book from the 1970s, which is to say Jack King Kirby's Marvel Comics characters, The Eternals, which was adapted into a recent Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. So, cogitating composers with side hustles and, of all things, marvellous brings us to Michael Giacchino, whose film and television work we played a lot on Zero-G, most recently, I reckon, in context of the Buzz Lightyear film. Now, Giacchino's Marvel films include, well, at least so far, back in 2016, he composed the score for Doctor Strange. He also did the fanfare for the Marvel Studios logo. He did four more Marvel films, the scores that is, Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home and No Way Home, and then Finish that off with 2022's Thor, Love and Thunder, which came out this year, of course. We shan't count Michael's scores on the Incredibles movies as Marvel work, even though they're often said to be the best two Fantastic Four films ever made. But he also did great scores for J.J. Abrams' Star Trek movies and Land of the Lost, the remake, and uh, the Academy Award-winning film Up. He also did an audio cameo for Cloverfield and worked on the Planet of the Apes soundtrack, Tomorrowland, Jurassic World, Rogue One. Also, Jojo Rabbit, Taika Waititi connection there, no doubt, leading into Thor, Love and Thunder. Giacchino also did the score for 2022's The Batman and television shows like Alias, Lost, Fringe and a number of video games as well as scoring soundtracks for rides and elements in theme parks too. So he's a bit of a renaissance composer, so much so that he's also directed things. A short film called A Monster Challenge in 2018, and one of the short treks from the more recent Star Trek series, one called Ephraim and Dot in 2019. And now Michael Giacchino is the director of an American Marvel Universe television special, rippling the hairs on the backs of our necks just in time for Halloween on Disney+. Plus. Now, this is not the first time that Marvel's had a crack at horror television or movies recently, and there have been many horrific elements of their canon. Sam Raimi brought to Doctor Strange in the multiverse of Madness movie that we recently saw, Zombie Strange, and the very creepily terrifying 
Scarlet Witch remade character. But this one has more to do with another classic monster, and it is called Werewolf by Night. So, Giacchino directed it, and it's written by Heather Quinn, who worked on the Hawkeye series, and also Peter Cameron, who we know from his writing for Carnival Road, WandaVision, and Moon Knight. So, it is a monster special. And look, it's nothing special in terms of the theme, the plot. It's basically a small group of monster hunters who are involved in a competition, which is to say they're hunting a monster on a particular night where they're gathered together to commemorate the passing of the leader of this loose association of monster hunters, one Ulysses Bloodstone. Now, I would say good old Ulysses disembodied presence looms large over this TV special, except for the fact that he is very much embodied. They have turned him into a, well, that would be telling, and I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it yet. So, (laughs) this actually kind of sets the tone for this special, and we'll get into that in a minute. But as you can tell by the title, Werewolf by Night, well, There have been a couple of fictional characters in Marvel comic books with that title. And Jack Russell was the name of the character originally. Yes, I know, I know. The creator of it says that he had nothing of that thought in his mind when he named him because he'd never owned a dog himself and had no idea about Jack Russell's. Creatives behind the Werewolf by Night comic book include Jerry Conway and Mike Plug and Roy and Jeannie Thomas, and they could not resist throwing Marv Wolfman at the series as well for immediately obvious punny headline-writing reasons. Anyway, uh, Jack Russell was the first Werewolf by Night who appeared in February 1972 in the comics, and then later there was Jake Gomez who appeared in 2020. Now, I can't recall having read many of those comics, but I do remember the character in context of early issues of Moon Knight, also just recently encountered in the MCU context, of course, or the MTU, the Marvel Television Universe. So there's a big backstory on that. The Russell family, centuries old, and they had a run-in with Dracula and... There was a whole thing about a werewolf curse and so on. And if you read the Darkhold book under a full moon, then it would trigger the curse. And, well, you know how it works. Well, you don't get all of that backstory in the TV special, which doesn't have to go there, not being a a series. Although you could easily see how they could turn it into a series, just as... An encounter with zombies in the What If animated series has now infected its own series. So I suppose the werewolf by night could actually continue onwards. And I think I will play a track first to kind of help establish the tone for what we're talking about today on Zero G. Now this is one of Michael Giacchino's puns on titles that he's put in here, and it is a title, it's the main title of the television special Werewolf by Night, and yeah, it's (laughs) M-A-N-E, 
Well, let's just pelt off to the main title. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on Zero G. The main title, M-A-N-E, from Marvel's Werewolf by Night TV special, now screening on Disney Plus main title. What a cheeky chappy you are, Michael Giacchino, who also, apart from being the composer of this show, and a very, very atmospheric track that was, he's also the director of it. It's his side hustle here. Now, the tone of Werewolf by Night, well, it's only an analogue laboratory gauge needle flicker shy of Mel Brooks's Wicked Cool 1974 send-up, the Universal Monster Trope, as gloriously rendered in black and white in his screen, Gem, the horror comedy Young Frankenstein. Ah, those Universal Studios monster movies. Frankenstein, Dracula, the Mummy, the Werewolf, the creature from the Black Lagoon, and the Invisible Man, amongst others. Old school first wave from the 30s and 40s before Hammer House of Horror over in the UK got their claws on them for the 1960s and 70s and so on. Now, Universal Studios has been trying to create its own Monsterverse franchise in modern times based on this rotting IP for some time, with Marvel and DC examples before them, not with much marked success. Although, ironically, I think one of the ones that uh, Universal didn't do, The Shape of Water, directed by Guillermo del Toro, well, in 2017, that took its inspiration from the creature from the Black Lagoon and did it gloriously. Well, okay, there's a handful of monster hunters who are summoned to the funeral of Ulysses Bloodstone, who is kind of the the head of a loose association of monster hunters, a bit like the Scooby Gang, I suppose or uh, any of the other ones in fiction, whether it be on screen or in books, who have done that kind of deed. Amongst them is Jack Russell. They've all been brought together by the Bloodstone widow, which is to say Verusa Bloodstone. They're all come to Bloodstone Manor. So they're all going to have a little bit of a competition to see who will get to wield the legacy of Bloodstone, which is indeed the titular Bloodstone itself. Now, this is a black and white film, but the actual gem, the Bloodstone, is always rendered in full colour, and so do uh, some of its effects turn out to be as you go through the show. Now, this is a familiar device from many a black and white comic book or movie, but it works to great effect here, I thought. Now, amongst the monster hunters are Elsa. No, she doesn't want to build a bloody snowman, although the bloody part she'd certainly get into. And Elsa is a very important character in this, although she is not the title character. She is played by Laura Donnelly, and she does swear as the original Elsa Bloodstone does in the Marvel comics, but not quite as much. Does she have red hair? Well, I can't quite tell, because this is a black-and-white television show. Now, Elsa is Ulysses' daughter, but not the biological offspring of her stepmother, Verusa. I don't know who she's been studying under, because she's not really in tune with the family's 
tradition, but it's obviously someone pretty good. I would guess, since she's no longer really a functional part of her family unit, it would have to be someone like Dr. Estrange, to coin a phrase. And as I said, she's played by Laura Donnelly, and she's been in television shows like Outlander and Britannia and The Fall, and also had uh, lead role as uh, Amelia True in HBO's The Nevers. I've also seen her in the horror film uh, Dread, that's D-R-E-A-D, directed by Anthony de Blasi, and that's uh, based upon a Clive Barker story. And she has also been Mabel Tolkien in the 2019 biopic about the famous author of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. So she actually played Tolkien's mum in that one. And, you know, not too typecaster, but she was in the British TV program Hex about uh, a magical boarding school. Yes, before you can say Harry Potter and the worst witch. She was also playing the character of Freya in that Merlin television show, and she was actually cursed in that, uh, kind of like a a flying panther with bat wings. (laughs) So, you know, maybe a little bit typecast there. But in this case, she is actually playing a monster hunter. And we also have in this Harriet Sansom Harris playing Verusa Bloodstone, Elsa's stepmother, and Ulysses Bloodstone's widow. So she's the one who's summoned all the monster hunters to Bloodstone Manor for this competition to wield the Bloodstone. She's often credited as Harriet Harris, recognised her voice instantly. She played the demonic agent in Frasier. She was B.B. Glazier. <laughs> and, wow... If ever there was a character in a show who could be said to have sold her soul to the devil, it was Bibi. She was one of the best characters in Frasier, I reckon. And it was great to see her here really chewing the scenery and rolling her eyes in best Bibi fashion. She was also the murderous Felicia Tillman in Desperate Housewives as well, showing up in Adam's Family Values, Nurse Betty, Ghost Whisperer, Six Feet Under and The X-Files as well. And she starred in The Lost Room in the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries as Margaret Milne. So, you know, she's done a lot of these sorts of shows, even, um, what was it, Uh, American Horror Story, that's right, Apocalypse, where she played a character called Madeline. (laughs) So it is awesome to see her in this, and she makes the perfect disgruntled widow. And she's not really happy with her stepdaughter Elsa being constantly at odds with her. Now, there are some other monster hunters in here. One who will be familiar to Star Trek fans is Kirk Thatcher, who plays a character called Jovan. So we saw him in Star Trek for The Voyage Home. He's the punk on the bus whom Mr. Spock nerve pinches because he's playing his boombox too loud and won't turn it down. He reprised that role later on in Spider-Man Homecoming in 2017. (laughs) He later reprised that punk role again in Star Trek 
Picard and was the narrator of the F. Raymond Dot Star Trek short we talked about earlier, Michael Giacchino connection there, obviously. So, yeah, turn it down, Kirk Thatcher. <laughs> we also see Eugenie Bondurant, a model who was in Frasier too, as well, I see from her credits, but we probably know her as Tigress in The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part 2, and she plays Azarel in a really exotic costume that kept reminding me of something that David Bowie would have worn. Another one of the monster hunters is Leonardo Nam, an Australian actor, actually, who was Morimoto in The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, and also has been appearing in Westworld as Felix Lutz, but also played a character called Harlan in the recent 2019 Swamp Thing series for a few episodes of that. Another creature in this story, and I don't know if I should give this away at this stage. You know what? I won't, but it's an iconic Marvel character played by Carrie Jones, who we've seen, well, sort of, before in the book of Boba Fett and in the 2010 Predators movie, as well as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, before I get to the title character, which is to say the werewolf, uh, Jack Russell, let's have another track. There is no peace without tuba. (laughs) Michael Giacchino. Marvel Studios' Werewolf by Night, director and composer. Uh, Hi, this is Jim Beaver. I play Bobby Singer on the TV series Supernatural, and you're listening to 3RRFM Zero G, idiots. Like in the Thropes with Mr. Bowie's cover of the classic genre horror hit. Werewolves of London to take us out of our look at... Werewolf by Night. Now, there is another connection here between werewolves and the next piece on Zero G today. We are mourning and memorialising another great actor whose work has extended across Zero G's beloved genre territory, which is appropriate because Dame Angela Brigitte Lansbury was certainly a beloved actress on stage in both big and small screens. The Irish-British-slash-American actress was born in London in 1925 and she died in her sleep five days before her 97th birthday in a home in Los Angeles. Her mother was an actress and her father was a politician and Lansbury quickly became interested in acting as she grew up. She moved to the United States with her father to escape German aerial bombardment, the Blitz, in World War II, and ended up in Hollywood. Her first film roles included playing a Cockney maid in the seminal psychodrama Gaslight in 1944, and also in the fantasy horror movie The Picture of Dorian Gray, where she played a tavern singer who'd fallen in love with the character of Mr. Gray. With a long, multi-continent spanning career in the performing arts, I can only touch upon Lansbury's genre highlights here. 
She was a princess opposite Danny Kaye in the medieval comedy The Court Jester, which is almost certainly where I first saw her. She had a very solid role in the John Frankenheimer-directed 1962 brainwashing classic The Manchurian Candidate. And in 1971, she was in the Disney animated fantasy movie Bedknobs and Broomsticks. She played the powerful witch in that. In 1978, she was in Death on the Nile, where she plays the magnificently named Salome Otterborn. And yes, Sir Peter Ustinov played Hercule Poirot in that classic. She played Miss Jane Marple in a 1980 adaptation of Agatha Christie's The Mirror Cracked, and played yet another witch in the 1982 animated film The Last Unicorn. She was a memorable roof in the 1983 Pirates of Penzance musical movie with Kevin Klein in the role of the Pirate King. And where the wolf connection comes in, or the werewolf connection, she was in Neil Jordan's 1984 reimagining of the Red Riding Hood story based The Company of Wolves. Fair enough, we say. She was a great Aunt Adelaide in 2005's Nanny McPhee. And Angela Lansbury was always playing formidable older women, quite often in an occult or a deductive capacity. I'm not going to tell you about her final cameo in a yet-to-be-released movie because it's kind of cool in that detective sort of way. Married twice, she had some interesting family connections, including fellow thespian Sir Peter Ustinov, yes, her death on the Nile co-star, and he was her brother-in-law. And strangely enough, Malcolm Turnbull, second cousin once removed, twice removed if you include him as Prime Minister of Australia. Now, I asked co-host Megan McHugh to provide a bridge between Lansbury's films and her television appearances, and she focused upon Angela Lansbury's, well, I guess her two most beloved roles, really. And according to Megan, Lansbury played Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Mrs. Potts was the warm, pun intended, singing teapot and mother of Chip, the teacup. Lansbury flexed her singing chops for the film, singing the headline tune Beauty and the Beast, which she recorded in one take after a long flight to New York. At first she wasn't sure about the role, but she absolutely nailed the song and fully embodied the lovable Mrs. Potts, a role that she loved being recognised for, apparently. On television, Lansbury also played the iconic Jessica Fletcher, renowned mystery writer and amateur sleuth at the centre of the classic cosy crime TV show Murder, she wrote. The show ran from 1984 to 1996 for 12 seasons, and 264 episodes of Lansbury solving murders in the fictional town of Cabot Cove, Maine as well as other locations, just up the road from Stephen King Town. Each episode, she'd become embroiled in some murder or another, either at home in Cabot Cove or on some far-flung trip or adventure. And being the sharp Miss Marple-esque detective that she was, she'd end up solving the case or discovering the culprit by the end of the hour. 
Lansbury won four Golden Globes out of ten nominations and was nominated for 12 Emmys for Murder, She Wrote. And the show remains a fan favourite worldwide. And I can attest to that myself. I just turned on the television the other day at random and there was an episode playing. She must have made a fortune from residuals from those. The television career ran from the 1950s onwards and there were several of those prestigious television playhouse anthology series shows that she had in her purse as well as episode of The Man from Uncle. Now, if you were a television actor or actress in the 1970s and 80s, you always would count upon having an appearance in Magnum P.I. or Touched by an Angel. Uh, and she even played the title character in Mrs. Santa Claus. Lansbury was a versatile actress and, of course, appeared on stage as well in productions like Mame, Gypsy, Hamlet. I think she played Gertrude, Queen Gertrude in uh, Hamlet. And The King and I. And uh, she was another occultist in Noel Coward's Blythe Spirit. And, of course, she played Lady Bracknell in a production of The Importance of Being Earnest. And she also famously appeared in the original Broadway production of Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street, one of my favourite Sondheim musicals, which was filmed for TV in 1982 with her. Relishing her role as Mrs. Lovett, human pie-making accomplice of the aforesaid Mr. Todd. She actually, I thought, had quite a good singing voice for the kinds of roles that she played. And I think she also um, had an idea that she would like to play the piano professionally at one stage. So I think all of that sort of played into the fact that she was in quite a few musicals over the year in one way or another. So formidable supernatural presence and equally formidable well, I often thought of her as playing an older woman in so many of the shows that I saw. But, you know, if you go back to the court gesture and look at her playing the princess in that, well, she had such an incredible range over those years. So she, I think she was very good at seeking out or creating the roles that she played and prolonging her career beyond the usual cliched, well, you know, if you're an actress, you're done by 40. So for a rare few women, they're able to break through that barrier and maintain a career over their entire lives. And she certainly did do that. And you will see her posthumously in a cameo in a movie coming up very soon. So, okay, that's about it for Zero G for today. And to go out with, we will have a track with Angela Lansbury singing on it. So, thought about it for a bit and thought, wow, you know, I've been hearing many of her classic tracks from Beauty and the Beast all over the place, all over the airwaves, and that's fair enough. A beloved Disney animated film, equally beloved actress. Well, what can you do? This is Zero G. We don't have to do exactly the same thing as everyone else. And of course, as we were saying before, Angela Lansbury starred in the throat-cutting, cannibal, pie-making, barbershop, slaughter-ret production of Sweeney Todd, 
Demon Barber of Fleet Street. And so we can get a song from that to go out with on Zero G today. All right, so the song is A Little Priest. And this is pretty much the moment where Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd are discussing what they can do with the many outtakes from Sweeney Todd's murderous barber chair. They can turn them into pies. This is perfectly macrame. Well, it's at least macabre. I don't think it's all that naughty. And it stars Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Lovett and Len Cadieu as Sweeney Todd from Stephen Sondheim's famed musical. Thanks to Megan McHugh, our co-host, and also our ghostwriter there today, as she gave me some much appreciated information about Angela Lansbury. And also to Alice Savage, our podcaster, who makes us sound so good when we're bad on Zero G. Bon appétit from Zero G. Enjoy your lunch. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.